All right, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. We're going to continue our series through the book of Luke. Last week, if you remember, we, we saw a pattern where there is seeking, there is finding, and then there is a celebration. We will see that again uh, coming up in chapter 19. But today, we hit on a familiar pattern, a familiar theme in the book of Luke. If you've ever seen the uh, YouTube video, um, it's titled Hammer Time. Don't think MC Hammer, but think of these guys nailing in a tent peg and a synchronized sledge hammering. Right? So they have this huge pike and they go in a pattern until they drive this stake deep into the ground. And this is what Luke is doing, that we see him doing in Luke chapter 16. Right? It won't be the first time you hear about the topic about how we handle our resources. But I think it's very, very important for us in which a day in which we live, we could get a chicken sandwich from McDonald's, from Wendy's, from Chick-fil-A, and now from Popeye's. We can go anywhere for anything we want to eat this afternoon. None of us have to worry about clean water. We have bottled water in the refrigerator. Here we have clean water. Most of our water fountains at Holmes High School. Like we don't have to worry about a lot of the stuff that most of the world struggles with. When you look at us in the room, all of us, we would be considered wealthy when Luke is writing. We'll see a dude that's clothed in fine linen. All of us in the room are clothed with fine linen. And so I want us to see it because here's what happens. When we start getting stuff, it blinds us from seeing what is really eternally important. And that's why Luke, again and again, is hammering this home. Right? So check this out. In Luke chapter 5, when he calls the fishermen, he says, hey, come and follow me. And they said they brought their boats to the land and they left everything to follow Jesus. They had a business. They had a family to provide for, but they weren't so much clinging to their stuff that they couldn't follow Jesus. They let go of their stuff to follow him. But then we see later on in uh, verse 27 of chapter 5, after this he went out to a tax collector named Levi. Now you got to know something about a tax collector. He wasn't well liked in his community, but he was well paid. My man was banking. And it says Jesus goes to him. It says, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And so this is the challenge today. And Luke again and again and again brings this up. And it's this idea that I get from, from Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, where he says, hey, there was this guy who uh, went to this field and found this pearl of great price, this huge rock. And he says, in his joy, he goes back home and he sells everything that he has so he could buy this field because the treasure in the field was more valuable than everything that he had. This is what I want. I want you to see Jesus as more valuable than anything this world has to offer. Or what Paul says, he says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So when it comes to treasure, when it comes to stuff, I want us to see it's nothing compared to the greatness of Christ. He is the pearl that's worth everything. He's worth counting everything as lost if I could just gain Christ. And so I want you to answer that question in your own heart right now. Is that how you treasure Jesus? 
Is he the most important person in your life? Is he more valuable than your stuff, your position, your power, your influence? Because that's what Luke is starting to hammer and hammer and hammer. So he calls the disciples. And then in Luke 6, the Beatitudes and the woes. Verse 20, it says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. And right here you see, when you're in poverty, you realize you need help. And that's a good place to be because spiritually speaking, on our own, there is no hope for us. And so it pushes us to rely on God. And then it says, hey, beware you who are rich because you've received your consolation. When you have money in the bank, you don't think you need anybody. You got it taken care of. And you're going to see that today. And the guy was eternally wrong. And so it's a warning. It's not wrong to be wealthy. And it's not right to be poor. But there come some things with both of those that are good and bad. Poverty lets us know our dependence on God. Wealth thinks we're independent from God. Be careful. That's what Luke is saying. And he goes on to drive it home. Blessed are you who are hungry now. I don't know about you. That's not a great thing. Some of you guys know what that means. To be hungry. Why is it blessed now? For you shall be satisfied. And it says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. You think you're satisfied with what the world offers, you'll find out you'll starve for eternity. And then you go on to Luke chapter 12. The rich man, we talked about this a few weeks ago. The rich man built bigger barns, packed them full of stuff, said to himself, I've got a ton of stuff. For many years I'll relax, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what God calls him? Fool. Calls him a fool. He says, tonight your life will be required of you. And then what good is that barn full of stuff going to do you? When you have to give an answer to your creator, how you handled the stuff he entrusted to you. He calls him a fool. And then the conclusion of that story that Jesus says is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Are you rich towards God this morning? That's my goal when we read this chapter. And listen, this is a scary text to cover this morning. It's not a light topic when you start talking about heaven and hell. And so I hope you can feel the weight of the text. Later on, Luke chapter 12, 32 to 34, uh, Jesus talks about, hey, you shouldn't be anxious about your stuff, about what you'll eat and what you'll drink and what you'll wear. Right? God takes care of the birds. God takes care of the flowers. He'll take care of you. And he concludes with this, is fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if you have a kingdom coming... This is what it enables you to do. It says, sell your possessions, give to the needy, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where there is no thief that approaches and there's no moth that destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's an easy way to check. Where's your heart this morning? Is it on your stuff? And I want you to think, it's easy to say, now I'm not that rich, it's not talking about me. With uh, school coming up, a lot of guys will get new shoes, right? And that's what they treasure. And I know this because when someone steps on them, they treat the person stepping on them like they're less valuable than their shoes. That's a treasure principle, right? And, and so we look at this guy and we're like, oh, this is easy. Well, that's something for the students. could be a job thing. If you lose your job, do you feel like the world's caving in? could be a bank account. 
The more you have, the more secure you feel. That's a treasure principle. That's a heart issue. And listen, this stuff's dangerous. Sneaky. It gets into your life, blinds you from seeing things that are really important. So be very, very careful. That's what Luke is trying to tell us again and again and again. And then we get to Luke chapter 14. When you give a dinner, who would you invite? It says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors. Ah, oh, man, that's easy people to invite. It's easy to have Thanksgiving with your family. What does it say? It says, let's say I invite you in return and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the crippled, invite the lame, the blind, and then you will be blessed because you cannot, they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. God sees that. That's a different perspective, isn't it? That's a treasure that doesn't fade. I'd love for us to do that as a church when it comes around to Thanksgiving, when it comes around to Christmas, as we have opportunity. Be careful who we're inviting. Luke 14, it says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow. So, Mike, I'm going to pick on you. You got the new Bowfin tennis shoes, right? And they're nice. They look good. Listen, I'm not a guy of style. Mike doesn't come to me and ask for style, which I don't blame him. But he has these tennis shoes, and man, they are a beautiful shoe. What happens if God says, you know what, Mike, your feet are going to be taken care of. you got a, this pair of shoes. I'm granted they're a year old. They might stink. They might have some stuff coming out. Uh, the, the tongue's starting to pop out. And the shoelaces are getting worn. But there's this guy that you're going to have class with, and he has zero shoes, and you need to give up your pair. So Mike now has a decision, right? Am I going to treasure Jesus and trust him, or am I going to treasure my shoe? Right? And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Right? But what I am saying is when you renounce everything and you say, hey, I'm following Jesus, what happens is you hold everything that you have loosely. You hold everything that you have you, because it's not yours. It's God, and he's entrusted it to you to use for his glory. And so my truck, I got to hold loosely. If someone needs it to move stuff, sure. Sure. My house, if someone needs a spot, it's open. It's not my house. It's entrusted to me for God's glory. My job, it's not there for me. It's there for God's glory. I have to hold everything. And here's the hard part. Our tendency is when something's put in our hands is to grasp it. That sucker's mine. And that's why I think Luke again and again is swinging the sledgehammer, slinging the sledgehammer, slinging the sledgehammer. Saying, hey, wake up. You only have a little while to live here. 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Then you got an eternity. And what you do here is eternally significant. Can you be entrusted with worldly wealth? If so, you'll get true and eternal wealth. So renounce everything you have. And then in Luke chapter 16, and this is the first part. We're not going to cover this in the sermon. Uh, but it's, uh, if you can handle worldly wealth um, that glorifies God, then you'll be able to handle true and eternal wealth. But if you can't be trusted with what the world offers as significant, how can you be trusted with real stuff that's really important? And you'll see that in Luke chapter 16, uh, basically 1 through 13. Then he talks about the kingdom of God, and we see the authority of the Son, and you see his authority on divorce, and you see his authority on marriage as just an example of his authority on all things. And then he gets back to this point of wealth and how we use our possessions. So, 
Let's dig into the text. We'll spend a few minutes here. But this is what I'm asking God to do. I'm asking God to move in our hearts so that we can see our stuff in a way that glorifies God and makes much of Jesus. And listen, that only happens if God moves. People can't do this on their own. So we're asking for a miracle this morning. Right? We want the Holy Spirit to move, convict us of sin, and when we see it, we don't want to be defensive. We want to say, hey, God, you're right, I handled that wrong. Forgive me. Open hands, whatever you want. All right? So let's read it, and then we'll pray and, and dig in. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. He desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. You see the graphic picture. As wealthy as the rich man was is as poor as the poverty man is. It's a graphic dichotomy of two people. You can't get any more further extremes than these two guys. Verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, now real quick, Hades right there. For those who watch Descendants 3, this is not talking about the fictional character in a musical. This is talking about hell, which the Bible makes clear with the next text. All right? In Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, child, remember that you in your lifetime received good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. That is a great reversal. Verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed and in order uh, that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27, and he said then, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said they have Moses and the prophets. Basically what he's saying is they got the Old Testament. They have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That's what got him to that spot. That's what got Lazarus to heaven. Repentance is the key issue here. Abraham's response, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. All right, let's pray and then we'll explain the text. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray as we hear this warning that it changes how we live. I pray that your spirit opens up our minds and our hearts and our eyes, help us see your truth, transform our hearts. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have you ever wanted a redo? Ever wanted a redo? Maybe it was a play on Friday night that we'd want to redo. Maybe it was a shot that you took or didn't take. Maybe it was a team you tried out for. Maybe it was a job. You want to leave or you wanted to go back, but you want to redo. I think we all have those situations in our lives, and I think they're numerous. I'll give you one example. One thing that if I could go back and do differently, I would, and it was my one-year anniversary. 
on February 28, 2005, as one of the bigger debacles of my married life. So I knew when I got married that in a year there'd be an anniversary and it's a big deal. Right? One year anniversaries, big deal. And I put it off and I put it off and I put it off. I'm like, ah, I'll wait till the year turns and then I'll have plenty of time. I'll think, I'll think of something then. And then January hit and I was like, ah, we'll go February. I know it's a short month. I should have had 28 days though. We're at the end of the month. I'll get there. And then it's two weeks out, I'm thinking, uh-oh, I better think of something. So ah, I'll wait till I'm done with classes this week, and then this weekend I'll take care of it. Something came up, and it got closer and closer. I was like, ah, I will just do a dinner and a movie. We'll be all right. And then it went from going out to eat and going to a movie to I'm just going to rent a movie, and we'll have carry out, and we'll be all right. Right? Yes, you guys already know. I wish somebody would have warned me beforehand. But it gets worse. Not only did I think I'd just rent a movie and bring carry out, the carry out was good. The movie wasn't. I don't know if you're thinking one-year anniversary, ladies, what movie would you pick? Um, I thought a great romantic movie, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, right? <laughs> For you guys that don't know Napoleon Dynamite, one of the dumbest movies ever produced. It's funny, and it's dumb, and it was costly for me, right? <laughs> so at the one-year anniversary, come uh, the next day, March 1st, I wasn't for sure if I'd see a second anniversary. But here's the cool part. I've got to do redos every anniversary. And some of them we've knocked out. And I'm thinking every year is another opportunity to get this thing right. Because I blew it after the first anniversary. I don't know about you, but I love having redos. If you go golfing, mulligans are your friends. You miss the ball or you hit the ball way into the woods and you get a mulligan, a free redo without costing you a stroke. It's awesome. Now, here is a redo for you. Because what you see in this story is a picture of eternal truths, heaven and hell. And what you do with Jesus determines your destination. And I want you to look at your life right now and you can tell by how you handle possessions what your heart is set on. You can tell me you love Jesus. But if your life shows that you're hugging up with possessions, you don't love Jesus. And so this is a good gauge, and this is what I want you to be careful of. One of my fears is that people will wait until it's too late, and there is no time for a redo. When you breathe your last, and you meet Jesus face to face, there is no time to say, look, my bad. Shouldn't have done that. It's too late. But right now is a good time for a redo. We see it clearly here, what Jesus is teaching. I don't want to live in such a way that I think the greatest treasure on the planet is my stuff. I want to live in a way that shows Jesus is greater than anything this world has to offer. And then for all eternity, I'll enjoy his presence forever in a place the Bible calls heaven. That's how I want to live. And so take this as an opportunity, if you need it, for a redo. Look at how you're living. Where does it show you on where you're going? How you handle treasure determines on how you travel in the future. So let's dig in. Number one, living in light of eternity shows us how to use our resources now. Living in light of eternity shows us how to use our resources now. You see this guy, he's a rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and feasted sumptuously every day. 
His stuff was about himself. He had it made. The nicest house, the nicest clothes, the nicest rides, the nicest food. And he had a bunch of it. That's why he feasted every day. Everything was revolved, revolving around himself. He didn't even notice the needs of others because he was so consumed with himself. And we've already talked about that's not how you handle your resources. And so I, I brought down some, some examples. I think this will help because a lot of times people think this is just talking about money. But we have a lot of wealth in the room, and it doesn't necessarily mean financially. And this is what I'm talking about. Some of you have summer vacation, and it got extended a couple of weeks. You want to know what your wealth is? Time. And so I, I thought of, of this example. You're walking to Randolph to play basketball, right? Jameer, I'll use you. you your back door goes to the, some of the nicest basketball courts in Covington, right? You got your ball. You're dribbling down to the court. You know your boys are waiting on you. You're passing this lady's house. She's an older lady. She's a widow. Her husband's passed away. She's there by herself. Her family's moved away, lives in a different state across the country. She's sitting on her porch by herself. You have a wealth of time, right? You have a great personality. You're able to talk to anybody. You want to know what she's starving for? Company. Conversation. She doesn't have anybody that could change a light bulb in her home. She can't get on the roof, clean out any gutters. She can't get down and scrub floors and mop. But you want to know who can? You can. You want to know why? Because you have a wealth of time and talent. You're strong, you're young, you're athletic, you can do it. Now, if you're treasuring your time, like, no, this is about me. I'm going to go to the courts, I'm going to go play, I don't have time to deal with that old lady. Shows you where your heart is. So some of us in the room have time. How do we use our time? All of us have time. How do we use it? Is it our schedules or is it open hands? God, however you want me to use my time this week, it's yours. If you want me to set aside this show to spend time digging into the word, it's yours. If I need to go to somebody, encourage somebody, write a letter to somebody, your time, not mine. So that's just an example. Another example, you just got a nice bonus at work, right? Sometimes, oh, we just did at Holmes. We got a 1% or 2% or 3% something. We got a little something bonus at, at Holmes High School. And I, I thought, oh, all right, so here's a check. Here's a couple extra money. I've always wanted a motorcycle. Right? So I start dreaming. Here I am. I got my nice helmet. got my motorcycle. I, got my crew. I already got my crew lined up. Every time I pass somebody on a motorcycle, that's a part of a game that I'm going to be in. One day. <laughs> right? So I got the motorcycle picked out. I got the gear picked out. I'm not going leather pants. I'm sticking with jeans. But I got the gear picked out. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it's a, a family vacation. I want to go to Hawaii. And I thought, I don't want to take the family. I just want to take Julianne. I think I could do that with the bonus check. And then I thought, well, we might need new appliances. Our refrigerator is making noises I've never heard before. Um, and then our dishwasher sometimes thinks they're competing, and the noises get louder between the dishwasher and the refrigerator. I'm thinking, maybe new appliances. with the and, and you see how deceptive wealth is. And I'll say, oh, I got this check, and I can do so many things with it. You want to know what I didn't think about in all that? Maybe God gave me this for something for his glory. And I'm not saying a, a motorcycle and a vacation and, and whatever is wrong, but what I am saying is when you get stuff and you don't have God anywhere in the picture, you might be treasuring stuff instead of God. And so that was for me. Then maybe you have musical ability. Uh, listen, my mom gave me piano lessons all the way up until eighth grade. 
I think it was sixth grade. Sixth grade was the deal. I could play football if I took piano lessons. And it got so painful for my mom that after the sixth grade year, she said, you're done playing piano. <laughs> right? Some of you guys have musical ability. Taj got up here. Now, Taj won't tell you, but Taj knows how to keep a beat. He has a famous song called My Mama's Fried Chicken. That would climb, I'm not joking, that would climb the charts. He's got some ability. Donovan's got some ability. He uses it. But sometimes we think our ability is for ourselves. And we want people to recognize how talented we are. Some of you guys have athletic ability. You're blessed with hand-eye coordination. You're blessed with some size and some strength and some speed. Don't think that's for yourself. You should be asking God, how can I use this, what you've given me, for your glory? Some of you have degrees and an education that you can leverage for the glory of God. You should be asking God, how can I use this for your glory? What does it look like to, to have this degree in this city to make much of Jesus in Covington? That's what questions we should be asking. That's, that's how we handle wealth when we have eternity in view. Not like this dude. Look at my clothes. Look at my food. Look at my mansion. If you do, you'll regret it, and it'll be for eternity. So living in light of eternity shows us how to use our resources now, but it also strengthens us to endure tough times. Living in light of eternity strengthens us to endure tough times. Uh, look at Lazarus. This is a, a desperate picture, a heartbreaking picture. The guy's so close to getting some food, but he's stuck at the gate. And you see, he's laid at the gate. He can't move. He's crippled. He is dependent on someone coming to him. He can't go any further. So here he is. He's laid at the gate, but not only is, he's, is he sick, but he's also suffering. He's covered with sores. Ulcers, his skin's falling apart. But not only is he sick and not only is he suffering, he's also desperate. You see, dogs here were not referred to as man's best friend. They were considered dirty animals. Nobody's welcoming them into their homes in this time, in this culture. And my man's not even strong enough to scare the dogs away to keep them from licking his wounded body. Do you see the desperate situation of Lazarus? Now, if I asked you, which man was blessed by God and which man was not, how would you answer that? Lazarus is blessed, but doesn't look like it. Looks like God's forgotten somebody here. Looks like Lazarus is forgotten. The only one that remembers Lazarus is the dogs. And yet you see this great reversal. And what Luke is trying to tell us and what Jesus is telling us in this story is it is better to suffer now and enjoy God forever than to have the best life possible, all the money in the world, and forfeit your soul. And I hope you believe that because you have an industry and marketing geared to saying you won't be happy unless you have this, this, and this. Don't buy it. Jesus is life. You can have everything else. i got to have Jesus. And so it helps us get through the tough times. I think knowing what's at the end. So you guys know conditioning is coming up, right? Conditioning is not fun. 
So what happens is these guys will show up on Monday, they'll have to lift weights, and then they'll have to run across the field, right? How much time does the skilled guys have to run across the field? Nine seconds. How much does the big guys got? Twelve, right? Benefit of being big. You get 12 seconds to get 50 yards, right? But the problem is it doesn't stop after one. It doesn't stop after two. You get to six, sometimes 12. Eventually you're worn out. But you know what's on the other end of the conditioning. Practice is going to end sometime. And Friday night's coming. And it's going to pay off. Right? The hope of Friday night helps us endure the pain of conditioning on Mondays. And, and what happens with Lazarus is, and now listen, your situation won't get as bad as Lazarus. Right? You're not going to have sores. You're not going to have dogs licking on you. But your situation could be pretty bad. But you have a greater hope than the guys do about Friday night football game. And your hope is for eternity with Jesus. And he's the one that will comfort you. And so whatever you're going through now, know that that's not going to be the final chapter of your life. There's a great reward for those who turn from their sin, who turn from their selfishness, and cling to Jesus. And that's what we see with Lazarus. And so living in light of eternity shows us how to use our resources, helps us endure tough times, but then it also sets before us our future realities. Number one, hell is real. You see this in verse 22. The poor man died and was carried to the angels of Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Right? His heaven is now over. He decided he was going to live it up on earth. That's fine, but now watch what he earned for doing that. And in Hades, he's being tormented. He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. This is a painful place to be. And a lot of times what you'll hear people say is there's no such thing as hell or heaven. When you die, it's it. That is simply not true. God has spoken. He has made it clear. We are all going to be somewhere forever. And a lot of it has to do with how you handle your stuff. You can see where you're heading. So there is a hell, but then also heaven is real. And I love it. It's a place of comfort. You see it with Lazarus. right? Nobody would move him from the gate, but guess who got him to, here comes God's care. Angels take him to heaven. And he's comforted. There's no more dogs licking him. God's got him. That is a great reversal. He's not asking for crumbs anymore. He's at the great banquet table. And meanwhile, the man who had everything on earth can't even get a drop of water. That is a great reversal. Heaven is coming. And then I want us to see that both heaven and hell are eternal destinations. And that's the scary part. Death permanently changes everything. There's no checkout time from heaven. There's no checkout time from hell. And you see here, there's a great chasm, can't cross. But then in Hebrews 9.27, talking about how Jesus is our high priest, it says, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. And so I know that when I breathe my last, what happens is I'll stand before Jesus. And here's the awesome part for me. 
He won't see all of my sin and my pride and my selfishness and greed and, and all the garbage in my life because I've turned from that and I've trusted in the righteousness of somebody else. I've trusted in His work on the cross. His payment for my sin. And so when He sees me, He'll say, come in. I might see this dude, Lazarus. I'm going to be sitting at the table. I'm turning from my selfishness. I'm turning from my sin. I'm not going to handle resources like they're God in my life. Jesus is God in my life. And because of that, I know I'll be in heaven forever, and you can too. And so those are three realities. There's a heaven, there's a hell, and both of them are forever. Which leads us to our fourth and final point. Living in light of eternity stresses our urgency in sharing the gospel. What would it take for you to believe that Jesus is greater than your stuff? That you should turn from your selfishness and your sin and trust Jesus? What would it take? Maybe your name written up in the clouds. Maybe a book designed just for you. And what Abraham said is, hey man, your brothers have enough. They have the Old Testament and it's pointing to Jesus. As a matter of fact, that's what Jesus did after he died and rose from the grave. He's on the road going to this place called Emmaus, and he's got two guys walking with him. And he goes back to the Old Testament and says, hey, this is where I am in the Old Testament. This was speaking of me. This is where you find me in here. And he points them to the Old Testament, and they said their hearts were burning as he was opening up the Word of God to them, telling them about himself. You see, the gospel is enough. We, we see in Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. The eyes will never see the work of God if the heart refuses to believe, no matter how great of act. You see this in the Old Testament. The Israelites walk across on dry ground through a sea, and in a couple months, they're grumbling about, where's God? Should have left us in Egypt. Their hearts were hardened. Our hearts are the same. We have a great example. What this guy was talking about, we have. Jesus died was crucified and buried, and there were hundreds of eyewitnesses. And the news has spread. We have a reliable testimony in the Bible. This book, again and again and again, has proved true. Someone thinks, oh, well, here's an error, and this is a lie, and this isn't true. And again and again, this has stood the test of time. Do you believe? That's the gospel. The word is enough. We have God who came to earth, died on a cross, buried, rose from the grave. What would it take for you to believe Jesus is worth it? There's nothing more God can do. Are your hearts open? Do you trust Jesus? And then for me, the, this is where the rubber meets the road. When I look out and I see people, and when I look out, I, I use this for um, basically morning duty. When I see all the students coming, they get four years at Holmes High School, give or take. But a lot of guys don't make it four years, right? They transfer, they move, and do different things. But that's a limited time I have with them. But what I see is this is a person that's going to be somewhere forever. And what I see here is if I open up the Word to them, they can see the greatness and glory of Christ, and their eternal destinies will change. And that's happening. And so this year, as I go to Holmes High School, what I want us to be sure of doing and what I want us to be urgent in doing is sharing the gospel with others. 
Because this is around Chicago one day, you'll either be with me in a place the Bible calls heaven, or you'll be in another place the Bible calls hell, and you'll be there forever. And for me, that's a terrifying thing, right? Because you can say the right words, but I can't see your heart and your soul. And Cortez is the same as true of you. John is the same as you. It's the same as everybody in the room. My dad's going to be somewhere forever, right? Do you see the urgency this gives this thing? We only get a few years. What are you going to do with Jesus? Be urgent with the gospel. Oh, handle your resources with open hands. Endure tough times. May God be magnified in our church by how we handle our possessions, our time, and our talent. May we make much of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we cover this text, that we see with fresh eyes the eternal perspective. I pray that we continually remember that there's something greater than the here and now. And I pray that as we keep our eyes on Jesus, we handle the stuff He's entrusted us in a way that brings Him glory. Father, I lift up the schools and the workplaces. Pray specifically for the people in this room that you'll give them a boldness to share the gospel because there's too much on the line. Father, I pray for those in the room that have never turned from their sin and trusted you. I pray that they do that today. I pray that they know that you are a God who is near and a God who hears and a God who welcomes the lost son and daughter home. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.